so welcome to the second installment, or I should say the third installment, of our law enforcement series. That was just an impromptu idea I had. As you recall, last Friday, I did an expansive show uh, revisiting the case of Officer Daniel Pantaleo and uh, Eric Garner in Staten Island, uh, his subsequent firing by the police commissioner, then Commissioner James O'Neill, and his recent denial of relief by the appellate division in his Article 78 lawsuit against Commissioner O'Neill, the City of New York, and the New York City Police Department. That gave me the idea to devote this week to primarily law enforcement issues. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to the show. You can do so very easily by going either to the iTunes App Store or the Google Play Store, depending which type of device you use, and simply searching for the NPO podcast and click subscribe. You'll be able to leave comments, write reviews. You'll be notified every time a new episode of the podcast is uploaded, and that way the podcast will grow as people search for new conservative content. In the alternative, if you prefer to use something other than your native podcast aggregator app, simply download the free Podbean app in either of those two app stores. Podbean is the hosting service that myself and many others use who do podcasts, and you can easily subscribe that way and leave comments and reviews and so forth. Whichever way you do it, you won't regret it. You'll be notified every time there's a new episode and you won't miss a thing. So, the last time we spoke on the podcast, which was Monday, uh, we spoke about some recent developments at the behest of the city council and the mayor. The most significant of these was the removal of qualified immunity for New York City police officers acting within the performance of their duty. In years gone by, immunity from civil suits was presumed under the law. When the city was sued or the police officer was sued, the city would pay. Uh, Now, and the only way for the city to get out from under was to somehow engage in extraordinary litigation and prove that the officer or officers were acting outside their scope of employment. Uh, That's extremely difficult to do, and it almost never happens. Now, that has been turned on its head. Instead, the officers now, I guess, will have to prove that they were acting within the scope of their employment and not outside the scope of their employment, and it is now incumbent upon them to demonstrate why the city should indemnify them if they decide to indemnify them at all. Now, you know, you'll note, and I guess they couldn't get away with this, it did not say that the police officers will no longer have immunity. They will no longer have unqualified immunity, meaning meaning it will not just simply be automatically granted. Now, it will automatically be not granted until you can move either the city or the court in the direction to prove that you deserve it. This is going to have a terrible chilling effect on law enforcement. I suspect this is exactly what people want. They want um, police officers not to do anything. They want them to take a hands-off approach. And you'd have to be out of your mind to do anything other than as little as possible in wake of this decision. Now, it's no secret to those of us in the know and those of us who study law enforcement issues that 
90% of the arrests are made by 10% of the police officers, which means the other 90% of the police officers may be going to work every day and doing many things, perhaps giving summonses and responding to calls for service and summoning ambulances to the scene uh, where people need them. But they're not doing very much in the way of law enforcement activity, as I define that. The primary function of law enforcement should be to enforce the law. Now, when I was studying this stuff years ago, I was told that when police officers went through the academy, they were told that 85% of the job is service-oriented, everything other than law enforcement. Uh, there were even times during the, the uh, Commissioner Brown aegis in here in the city of New York where police officers in the CPOP unit, which was um, their community policing unit, were actually being assigned to take the elderly people shopping in police vans. That seems to me to be a very, very foolish and myopic way of addressing a problem. If the streets in your command as a commanding officer are so dangerous to the elderly that they have to be taken shopping by armed New York City police officers, you're going about the problem the wrong way. It would save a lot more money and be a lot more expeditious if those officers were used to enforce the law and remove the criminal element so that the elderly wouldn't have to fear for their lives or their safety when going shopping, and you can simply hire a car service to take them there for a lot less money than it costs to divert uniformed police officers to the same task. I'm all for supporting the elderly, but this was a backward way of doing it. But it's endemic and indicative of the backward thinking in most law enforcement agencies. Now, if only 90%, or should I say, if only 10% of all the police officers were making 90% of the rest before this change, what do you think is going to happen after? That number is only get, going to get more lopsided than it already was. It may be down to 2 or 3%, and those 2 or 3% will probably have to have their heads examined. Either that or they're very, very politically hung, and they don't think they're in any jeopardy at all. Very few of those people going around, and certainly with those small numbers, that is not a police department make. And I also don't subscribe to the thinking that a police officer's role should be devoted 85% of the time to non-enforcement services. If it's truly a service-oriented department, not a criminal law enforcement uh, department, I disagree. I argue that there is no greater service that a police department can perform to its citizenry than the eradication of the criminal element from their midst. And if you wish to achieve that objective, it stands to reason it takes a lot more than 15% of your total time to do it. So I was wondering, how would other people in public service, other governmental figures feel if this same standard were applied to them? If they weren't given immunity, if they could be sued readily by any schmuck that wants to come along with an axe to grind. I wonder if they had to pass this new rule at the city council that they had to make it applicable to all government employees if they would have been so wedded to the idea of passing it. So to put it in perspective, let's look at a couple of uh, interesting things. In the borough of the Bronx, which has been reputed to be the city's most violent borough, we have a DA there by the name of Darcel Clark. She used to be an ADA under 
ADA Johnson, uh, District Attorney Johnson years ago. And having left the office, she served as a judge for the better part of 13 years. Now, during this time, she was involved in a very, very significant case. She was involved in the case of Khalif Browder. Now, he had six separate court dates before her. Khalif Browder was 16 years of age when he was arrested for the first time for the hyenas crime of stealing a backpack. Now, I don't think you should go around stealing backpacks, but on the scale of 1 to 10, and compared to everything else that goes on in the borough of the Bronx, hardly something that should raise anyone's eyebrows, and hardly anything that should cause a man to languish for a protracted period of time with no bail in Rikers Island, as Mr. Browder did. In point of fact, Khalif Browder spent three years in Rikers Island while this case bounced around in the courts. What happened to the right to a speedy and fair trial? Apparently, Mr. Browder, who was a black man, just as Darcel Clark is a black woman, uh, wasn't entitled to those rights. So apparently, as long as you're being abused by a public official who also happens to be black, I guess it's okay to abuse uh, black people. If Darcel Clark had been a white judge, maybe it would have been looked at a little bit differently. But anyway, you slice it. This young man did not deserve to spend three years on Rikers Island, which is a terrible, terrible place, especially for a man of that age. It's dominated by gang members, and you either go along or you get wiped out. Finally, the case was resolved. It's finally dismissed. But after Mr. Browder had spent three years of his life, very, very good years, what otherwise would have been good years, in Rikers, and much of that three years he was forced to spend in solitary confinement. And I can automatically assume without knowing, I read this in some articles, that it was for his own safety, probably because despite having stole a backpack, and we'll assume for the sake of argument that he did steal the backpack. We won't even assume that he was completely innocent. I'm just saying that even if he is guilty, this did not warrant this sort of treatment. But aside from stealing a backpack, I'm going to say that Mr. Browder wasn't a bad man, and he wasn't a violent young man, and he didn't want to get involved and be pressured into being in the bloods or the crypts. And so he put himself in solitary confinement, which is a terrible place to be. You're cut off from everyone and everything. You leave your cell one hour out of every day, and on the weekend you might not leave it at all. And that's the way he had to live for most of his three years, just to have the case dismissed because there was no case against him. Apparently, this toll on Mr. Browder was too much for him to bear. So after having got out of prison, at 22 years of age, he took his own life. Now, that's no way for anyone to go, least of all for a 22-year-old man who probably had a lot to live for if he was only able to see it. But I assume his mind was so clouded and so shaken by what he had gone through that he wasn't able to see that there was more to life than just sitting in solitary confinement in Rikers Island. To her part, Darcel Clark says she doesn't recall the case, but she promoted the ADA who hailed it, Peter Kennedy. And as a consequence of that promotion, he received a $40,000 raise in pay. Now, 
What if Darcel Clark had to be subjected to this new fangled way of looking at misconduct? What if she could be sued? Because you'll notice these lawyers who make the law, these judges, the law never applies to them. You can't sue the DA unless you reach this inordinately high standard for malicious prosecution. You can't sue a judge who lets out someone who shouldn't be let out, who then goes out and kills three or four people. They're immune from everything. What if they had to start getting called on the carpet, either for criminal prosecutions or civil liability and have to pay, have their home seized and not be indemnified by the city and the boroughs for whom they work. What if that happened? Do you think we'd have a different sort of court system? You're damn right we would. But they never speak about having these rules applied to them, only to the police officers. And there is still more with Darcel Clark. She rehired an ADA who had been fired years earlier by her predecessor, a man by the name of Ricardo Rodriguez. He had been fired because he broke a man's nose in a road rage incident and impersonated a police officer. I don't know what caused her to rehire this man because apparently he was a friend of hers. But she rehired him. Ill-fated idea. She promoted another ADA, a woman named Christina Park. She then had to resign because she violated the rules of the state of New York for prosecutors, government employees. She was living in the state of New Jersey. She had to go. Poor judgment again on the part of Darcel Clark. Her animus towards law enforcement is well known. Despite incredibly violent attacks against corrections officers on Rikers Island, she seems to look at the corrections officers as the problem and the inmates not at all. She famously indicted Sergeant Hugh Barry for fatally shooting an elderly female EDP, a woman named Mrs. Donner. She had attacked him with a baseball bat. Now, there was some question about whether she swung the bat or not. Most witnesses seemed, and Sergeant Barry said that she did come at him with a bat. And you can't say that Sergeant Barry jumped the gun on this one in shooting her, because just prior to this, the sergeant had very calmly and deliberately talked her out of using a pair of scissors. He talked her into dropping a pair of scissors that she had been clutching in her hand. But mentally unstable people are unpredictable. Now, a lot of people said, well, why didn't Sergeant Barry hit her with a taser? Very bad precedent to set. When someone's coming at you with a baseball bat, they're coming at you with deadly physical force. A taser is not deadly physical force. You start setting a precedent whereby you're going to allow perpetrators to use deadly physical force against officers without any fear of having deadly physical force visit on them, just the only deterrent being whatever they get uh, in court for their crime, you're going to have people taking swings and shots at officers and stabs at officers all the time because they don't have respect for the law. They don't mind going to prison. And if there's no chance of them getting killed, they're not going to worry too much about it. This is a very stupid thing for people to suggest, but they suggested it nevertheless. Regardless, Commissioner O'Neill, then Commissioner O'Neill, with his uh, propensity for putting his foot in his mouth, said we failed, speaking of Sergeant Barry's conduct, and then um, trashed him. He was acquitted after a bench trial, and then he was slated to go before uh, the trial court at one police plaza. If I'm not mistaken, or I have not been able to find anything on it uh, in the news. Maybe they've suppressed it because they don't want to do it for his family. Uh, I believe Sergeant Barry subsequently took his own life. 
I'm almost positive he did. And that is a tragedy. Uh, but it, it rings eerily familiar to me. I remember as a young man, there was a case back in the Bronx also, uh, coincidentally enough, where an EDP, an elderly uh, woman by the name of Eleanor Bumpers, during an eviction, which never should have taken place, but that doesn't has anything to do with the police department. That's the sheriff's department. The police are just there to keep the peace. She barricaded herself in her apartment, didn't want to go. Now, the procedure at that time in the New York City Police Department was to show up with five members of the service, a sergeant and four police officers. Uh, I think it was five police officers and a sergeant. And they had a very, very good system. They would try and talk people out. And if not, two of them had shields. Uh, One man had a T-bar. Yeah, I think it was five men, a sergeant and four men. One man had this T-bar, which is like a a bar that you use to pin somebody against a wall so they wouldn't have any leverage. And then you would uh, try and do what you could to disarm the person, handcuff them, what have you. There was the fifth man, um, and he would stand off to the side with a 12-gauge shotgun. And he was there as a safety valve. He was only required to act if everything else failed. And in 600 cases where they had to use this procedure, it was only one time when the man with the shotgun actually had to fire. And that was the case with Eleanor Bumpers. A a man named Stephen Sullivan shot and killed Eleanor Bumpers, and they tried to lay him waste. He went through tremendous amounts of years of counseling and so forth, uh, emotional distress. It put such a strain on his family. He didn't do anything except try and do what he was trained to do because the man with the T-bar lost his footing and Eleanor Bumper still had a knife in his hand. her hand. She dented the shield. She was over 300 pounds. She was a rather large woman. And he did what he felt that he had to do. Right away, the New York City Police Department said, we have to change this procedure. And there you see the hypocrisy of government, the hypocrisy and the reaction of, of, uh, of people who are quintessentially cowards. They knew when they formed this procedure that that was part of the procedure, that if everything else failed, someone would be shot. They knew that when they put that procedure in place. And 599 times it worked perfectly where no one had to do that. On this 600th time, this extreme ending that they envisioned in the policy had to be resorted to. And because one out of 600 times one extreme part of the procedure that they knew was a possibility had to be employed. Now they decided they're going to reinvent the whole procedure. It was a little bit crazy. And you can see craziness has not left the New York City Police Department. But the mental health uh, state of affairs in New York City has been laid waste, primarily by budget cuts caused by Bill Dumbo de Blasio. Now, maybe he should be able to be sued and not get qualified immunity because he did these things that allowed these cases to come to the fore. Maybe he should be sued for speaking badly about Sergeant Barry and whispering in Commissioner O'Neill's ear that he needs to take action and put him on modified assignment and lay him to waste in the trial room. Maybe Melissa Mark Viverito, the city council head, who supported, among other things, 
This cuts to the mental health I just alluded to, and also the decriminalizing of things like public urination so that, quote, young minority men could reach their full potential. I didn't realize you had to take a leak or a dump in the street to reach your full potential, but I assume what she's referring to is that these men, because they're men of color and racism is so rampant in the United States, are not able to reach their full potential because these seemingly insignificant events color their entire record and character. They're just not able to overcome it. So the only possible way is to let them piss and poop in the street as if they were dogs that were being housebroken. Might I suggest a more correct form of uh, adjudication or education would be just to teach them to use a bathroom like cognitive thinking individuals instead of acting like dogs and animals that urinate and defecate in the street. That might be a better way to go. Miss Viverito, maybe you should shut your mouth. Maybe you should be subject to these same rules that you're subjecting everybody else to. Rules for thee, not for me. It is the standard line and ethos of the Democratic Party. Hypocrisy abounds. And it never is it more clearly on display than it is with the disparaging treatment we visit upon law enforcement in this town and other bastions of blue throughout the country, where the rioters are celebrated and the people who use force to defend themselves against the rioters, the police and the civilian population alike, are the the criminals, and they're the ones who are arrested. We live in an upside-down world, and as long as we have this current cast of characters running things, it's going to get a lot more upside-down. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.